rolling. All right, so we are here uh, the night before uh, Tisha B'Av, so it's Erev Tisha B'Av. And uh, as much as we like to deny uh, that Tisha B'Av is coming, in all of the, uh, the discomfort and the challenges that the day, the observance of the day and the day presents, uh, it's something which is really an important day. It's really an important day because it captures a lot about uh, the history of the Jewish people and it captures a lot about really what we're supposed to be experiencing while we are in our current Gullus existence, our exile existence. And it's something which is, uh, which is a challenge. It's a very difficult uh, uh, day to be able to connect with when there are, mitz- when there are mitzvahs to do, uh, when there are mitzvahs to do, and uh, there are things which we're going to perform. So it's easier to connect with things once we go ahead and we, uh, we, uh, we, we connect with those mitzvahs. But Tisha B'Av is something where by and large it's just restrictions. And those restrictions go ahead and leave us um, uh, feeling uncomfortable. And certainly the idea of the day is something which is difficult to wrap our our minds around. (laughs) Connecting to a historical event and certainly a tragic historical event is something which is very, very, uh, very challenging because none of us here, uh, no matter how old we are, none of us here actually experienced Beis HaMikdash. We never actually had that experience directly to say, whoa, I recall the Beis HaMittosh and I miss it and I wish that we could go ahead and we could have it restored. It's not like a loved one who was with us in this, in this world and then they pass away and we could recall their presence and we could recall things about them and we have positive memories of them. As individuals, we certainly don't have any memories of the Beis HaMittosh to be able to yearn for a Beis HaMittosh to be, to be restored. On top of that, certainly for us Ashkenazim, the kinos are very difficult to understand. They're written in a very poetic Hebrew. Uh, the Paitanim, the, uh, the, the poets who wrote them, very often take a, a free license to go ahead and make up words and conjugate words in different ways than you would find uh, throughout, the, throughout Tanakh, which adds complexity also to, uh, to understanding the, uh, the day. And our goal tonight is try and get a better handle on what exactly the day represents, what it's about, so that when we go into it, in the event that Mashiach doesn't come between now and 24 hours from now or so, that we'll, uh, we'll know what we need to focus our attention on, so that through the day of Tisha B'Av, hopefully we'll be able to connect with really what are the most important themes of the day. In that way, it will be a meaningful and uh, more uplifting experience than what I would imagine most people have experienced in the past. In the past. So the question is again, what exactly are we connecting with? And everybody would say here that we're connecting with the Beis Hamikdash. The day revolves around Churban Beis Hamikdash on the one hand, the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, and it revolves around Golos. It, re- it revolves around the exile of the Jewish people. But the truth is, is that I think those aspects of it, of Chorban Beis Hamitosh and Galus, are really just simanim. They're symbolic of what the real tragedy of Chorban Beis Hamitosh was. And that is the fact that the relationship, the close relationship we had with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the dvekas or the attachment we had with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, was severed at that time. And over the course of the day, as we read through Megillus Eicha, which we'll talk about, and as we go through the kinos, for those kinos which we say, they're going to capture much more, the more dominant theme 
is not the events which surrounded Chorban Beis HaMikdash, the events which unfolded the storyline of Chorban Beis HaMikdash, but really what it focuses its attention on much more is what was the consequence of that, in what ways did we suffer as a result of that. And the most dominant element of that is detachment is the fact that we had a, a severed attachment. We are supposed to, the, the Pasuk says, they were supposed to be attached to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We're supposed to be close to him. He is supposed to be close to us. And as a result of Korban Beis Amitash, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, you know what? I'm leaving. You guys can't figure out how to get along with one another. Whatever Aveira we happen to uh, to have done, which warranted the uh, the Korban Beis Amitash. But when that happens, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I'm leaving, I'm severing the active closeness which we are supposed to have. And then once HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes that decision, I'm severing the relationship, I'm severing that closeness, everything which happens after that is merely a consequence of that. Like we know, Chazal say very clearly that there's no way our enemies should really be able to destroy the Beis Amitash. If the Shekhinah is there, if the Divine Presence is there in the Beis Amitash, it's too powerful of an entity for any enemy to be able to enter in there, to be able to do any harm, to be able to burn down the structure, to be able to do the horrific things which Titus did in the in, in the Kodesh Kadashim. Nobody goes into the Kodesh Kadashim other than the Kohen Gadol after a week's worth of preparation on the holiest day of the year with all of that stuff. That's the only time somebody was really allowed into the Kodesh Kadashim. And here, Titus, we have this account of Titus going going in there and doing just terrible, terrible Averas in the Kodesh Kadashim itself that can only happen because HaKadosh Baruch Hu detached himself. He withdrew from the Beis HaMikdash. And once he withdrew from the Beis HaMikdash, then all of the consequences will follow from, from that. So the primary, the dominant theme of the day is really going to be the detachment. And as you'll see, we'll, sub, we'll, we'll highlight some of it now. And if you pay attention to the keynotes, if you say them in English so that you can understand them, so you'll see that if you pay attention to that and you're looking for it, you'll see that there's elements and there's themes of detachment throughout all of the keynotes. Because ultimately, that's what they all revolve around. And even those which have nothing to do with Chorba Beis those which have to do with the Crusades and those which have to do with the Holocaust and all the different ones, which are the historical events, which we end up highlighting over the course of the Kinos, which we say, they all revolve around this one dominant theme, the primary theme, which is that of the detach- detachment from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the broken attachment which we had with him. And this is best captured, if you think about it, with the opening phrase of Megillus Eicha. The opening phrase of Megillus Eicha, for those who recall, is Eicha Yashva Badad. How is it that Yerushalayim is really capturing, but we're going to generalize it. How is it possible that we now find ourselves Badad, we find ourselves alone, isolated, detached from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we're no longer connected to anything which we are supposed to be connected to. The Beis HaMikdash, as we said, is the symbol of the close relationship we have with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This is where the place which HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I'm going to enter into this physical world to give you mankind, to give you Klai Yisrael, the opportunity to connect with me. Where is that going to take place? That takes place in the Beis HaMikdash. So the Beis HaMikdash is symbolic of the Dveikas, of the connection which we're supposed to have with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Chorba Beis HaMikdash is the symbolic representation of the fact that that attachment was severed. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, I'm going back up to Shemaim. 
I don't have a place here in the physical world anymore where you're going to be able to point to and say, that's where you're going to interact with the Shekhinah. That's the, the place where HaKadosh Baruch Hu is most concentrated and most available to everybody else. That was lost once HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, enough is enough already and I can't, I can't be here anymore. And all of that, in the exile, which we subsequently suffered, uh, have to, had to endure and continue to endure, all is symbolic of this idea that HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't have a place in this world anymore. And once HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't have a place in the world, we have no way to be able to connect him in the same type of way. In the devastation that we experience, what we're supposed to experience is not thinking about Beis HaMikdash uh, in pictures of the Beis HaMikdash in trying to long for a structure. It's not the structure of the Beis HaMikdash, which we long for and we yearn for. That's symbolic, as we said, what we really want is the closeness to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We want to restore that relation. We want you, you Hashem, you're going to come towards us. Vinashuva, once we know that you're coming towards us, which we'll talk about, then we could, Vinashuva, then we could return to you. That Pasuk, which we repeat at the end of the, uh, uh, at the end of Megillus Eicha, is the is one of the keep soaking because that captures this idea that ultimately it's not about a Besamikta structure per se, but it's really about the attachment we're supposed to have with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the devastation and the, the devastating consequences of what happens when we don't have that. Now, as I assume everybody here uh, knows, as I've talked about it in various uh, forms, but the detachment, when a person experiences detachment, that itself is usually a simon, usually that's a simon muvuk, usually it's a strong sign, a strong indicator of the fact that one endured a traumatic experience. Trauma, if you're going to break down the idea of trauma, what exactly is the definition of trauma? Trauma is when the nervous system becomes overwhelmed, feels a threat, a direct threat to its existence. It's, it's incapable of being able to manage that threat, or at least it doesn't believe that it could manage that threat. And as a result of that, there's going to be detachment. Person could detach from uh, the, the abuser, the person will detach from family and from friends and from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and all sorts of detachment takes place when one experiences a trauma. And Chorba Beis HaMikdash, at its very core, is this tremendously traumatic event. And when you look, again, when you pay attention to the kinos, the way they're presented, in the way that they're written, in the way that they were, they, they were, they were structured, they very much capture this idea of a person who's, who's suffering from a traumatic event. One of the, the, the hallmarks of a, of a trauma, of a person who suffered trauma, is their inability to go ahead and retell the story of their trauma. And the reason why this is so is because when the nervous system and the brain becomes overwhelmed by the, the threat of destruction, the threat of death, the threat of whatever, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the destruction of the system, so the thinking part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex goes offline. And together with that is the part of the brain which normally takes care of memory, uh, is able to order memory and take things and put things in a sequential order. And it's able to go ahead and take care of memories to make sure that the things are not going to be forgotten. A person who experiences a traumatic event cannot put together the narrative or the story of the events surrounding their trauma. 
because the brain, that part of the brain just isn't available to be able to go ahead and do so. And therefore, when you try and speak to them about it, we, if you, if you approach them with, your, with a non-trauma brain, so you're expecting to hear a story. There should be a beginning, there should be a middle, there should be an end, there's characters, there's themes, there's all sorts of things which are gonna go on, but trauma victims can't tell a story. All they can do is they may remember little bits and pieces of it, and it's gonna be fragmented in disconnected aspects of what happened, and there'll be huge gaps in the story, but that's all indicative of how profound the trauma affected that their, their brain that they cannot tell that story. And this is something when you pay attention tomorrow night, when we read Megillus Eicha, again, if you need to, uh, to follow along in English as they're reading in Hebrew, so that's, uh, it's really, uh, you, you should do so. But what's striking is, is when we think about Megillus, Megillus Esther, Megillus Rus, we think about Sefer Yod and stuff like that. So there's always a story, there's a narrative. There's a beginning of the story, there's a middle of the story, there's an end of the story. There are characters and we follow, there's development of characters and we follow all that as we would with any other story. But Megillus Eicha doesn't tell a story. The reason why Miguel Echa doesn't tell a story is because we can't tell the story. Because to tell the story means that we did not endure the trauma of Korban Beis Amikdash. And since we did endure Korban Beis Amikdash, there's no way we could piece together a full story to be able to recount to somebody else, to be able to say what happened. And you'll see in the, in, in the, the kinos as well, we don't put together stories so much. We say a little bit and then we emote. We'll say, oi, ilo li. We have all sorts of phrases which are interspersed between the stanzas, beginning a stanza or ending a stanza, all of which are just emotions because as soon as a particular thought related to the trauma comes out, all of a sudden we become overwhelmed with emotion. We have to say something or do something in order to express that emotion. And we'll say something, nothing more than, oi, because it's so painful and then we, we, we can't wrap our minds around it and we just get stuck in that and we can't move on. And that's why not in the Kinos and not in Megillus Eicha do we tell a story because we experience this, this, this tremendous trauma of Churban Beis Hamikdash, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu abandoning us, that the detachment which goes together with the trauma. And we realize here I am, I'm all by myself, I'm alone, I'm isolated, I'm detached from the source of life. And where do I go? How do, how do I manage this? I'm not equipped for this. I wasn't trained for this. Nobody was mechanich me what I'm going to do when there is no Beis Hamikdash and I'm in exile somewhere and I have no way of being able to connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We didn't have an experience as, as a cloud, as a nation, what exactly we're supposed to go ahead and do that. In the Chorban, in that regard, Another aspect of the trauma, of what, what happens to a trauma victim, is they lose all sense of safety and security. Those who are the, uh, the Rabbi Russell friend, uh, fans who are, who are here. So you know Rabbi Russell talks about the four S's. So it's going to be safe, secure, soothed, and seen. So Chorban Beis Hamikdash, what that does is it compromises our safety and our security. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, bitachon, trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, our connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, dveikas with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, lets us know that no matter what's happening in this world, and no matter what's happening in our lives, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has our back. He's watching us, he's taking care of us, he's going to make sure, gamzu Latova. I could say all of those phrases, when I feel safe and when I feel secure, because I know HaKadosh Baruch Hu has my back. Chorban Beis was an experience, a national experience for Klai Yisrael, where we lost all our safety and our security. HaKadosh Baruch is not there anymore. Who's going to take care of us? Who's going to watch over us? Who's going to protect us against the enemies who seek nothing more than to annihilate us and to wipe us off of the face of the earth and send us into the sea? 
with HaKadosh Baruch Hu protecting us, how's that going to happen? Every generation, there's somebody there who's seeking to, to annihilate the Jewish people, to destroy us. And now that we experience for that first time, the first time and the second time, when we realize HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not there, the relationship has been severed and we're no longer attached, our sense of safety and security is gone. This now sends us into completely dysfunctional behavior. Now we don't know what to do anymore. We have no way of being able to word like vertigo, as it were. We can't figure out which way is up and which way is down and which way is right and which way is left. And you have these horrifying uh, depictions in the kinos, which come from Chazal, about these inhumane things that mothers were doing to their babies and parents are doing to their children and all sorts of things which are unimaginable to us. How could anybody do that, even in the worst situation? But what happens is, as somebody who experiences a trauma, and when trauma brain goes online, rather than our thinking brain, there's no way to be able to predict how a person's going to respond and how depraved and how dysfunctional a person could become. And people who have, you know, who have seen somebody who's experienced trauma and how their, their lives become completely dysfunctional and they just can't manage, they, they, find, they struggle to manage life in simple tasks of life, that is what Klai Yisrael experienced with Chorba Beis we experience the dysfunction of no longer being, no longer being attached to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not having a means to be able to connect with him. We're lost. We have no safety and security whatsoever. And as a result of that, so we have this, this we ask these questions throughout the keynotes. We ask Lama, Lama Lanetzach, we have all, Eicha, Eiko, we have all these questions which we cannot answer because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not here taking care of us. And this is really what the, uh, allows us, this gives us insight, and this gives us a, an opening to be able to understand, to be able to connect with the day, because these things, are, these things are something which is very real from us. Also, what it does is, another one of the things that you'll see is that we experience a tremendous amount of shame. Once we lost our safety and our security, and we realized that Hashem is not here actively, actively with us. And the nations began to mock us and make fun of us. And that's another theme which you'll detect in the kinos, how, how we turned to them for assistance. We wanted help and they laughed and they jeered at us and they did all sorts of things to make fun of us and just make our lives more miserable. And that also is part of the detachment because as a result of that, we lose, we experience humiliation we experience shame and humiliation, the opposite of Kavad Abrios, like we talked about in Shul this, uh, this past week. And then once a person has lost their safety and security, once they've experienced the shame and humiliation, which we did nationally as a result of Churba Beis so all that's left is we become shattered fragments of what we used to be. And again, how do we manage, how do we navigate when we don't have any ability to go ahead and, and do so? So this is one thing which is, which is extremely important to, uh, to bear in mind. Now, the truth is, as we know, uh, and as, uh, as uh, science is getting uh, more and more advanced, is there's actually two different categories of trauma. What I like to refer to as capital T trauma and small t trauma. Not to minimize either one of them, that one is uh, worse than the other, but there are two different types of trauma. Capital T trauma is usually what's referred to as event trauma. That's when a person experienced an event where somebody died or somebody almost died, car accident, where somebody may have died or somebody was uh, terribly injured. So that is a capital T 
type of trauma where you actually saw or right before your eyes was death or on the brink of death. So that has devastating effects, obviously, on, the, on an individual. But there's small T trauma. Small T trauma, sometimes referred to as complex trauma, that's when a person is not necessarily, there's a tra- traumatic event where a person experienced was, was, was on the brink of death or was threatened with death. Small T trauma or complex trauma is a bunch of small little incidents. Neither one by itself is sufficient enough that would qualify as a trauma. But you add one struggling day in school with another struggling day in school and another week of struggling in school and another month of struggling in school and another year of struggling in school. You take all those little pieces together and you piece them together. That becomes the composite of all of that creates the same impact on the brain. Brain scans show a similar type of image of trauma brain on somebody who experienced complex trauma is somebody who experienced capital T trauma or event trauma. And this is also something which that's why we have kinos which don't necessarily revolve around Chorba Besamikdash. Because the Chorba Besamikdash was the event trauma which Klai Yisrael experienced. But the fact that we've had crusades and inquisitions and pogroms and all sorts of things and terrorist attacks to this day, which which continue to haunt us and continue to highlight the fact that we are not safe and we are not secure because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not here actively with us. This means that the trauma that we've experienced as a nation is not simply a one-time event trauma or a two-time event trauma of Chorban Bayes Rishon in Chorban Bayes Sheni but it really represents the fact that we've been traumatized generation after generation after generation. We've been hounded and we've been pursued and there have been those who are after us, which continues to diminish our sense of safety and security and it compounds the impact of the trauma because we can't escape it. The only way to be able to recover from trauma is the first step that you have to get to is you have to be able to get to a place of safety and security without safety and security. So there's no way that one is going to be able to uh, go ahead and bounce back or one is going to be able to recover from that trauma, whether it's event trauma or the complex trauma. And because we've, ex- we've experienced both, so that trauma ultimately takes away our resilience. And this is the resilience part of it because resilience, as we know, resilience is the ability to bounce back from adversity. That's a key part of resilience is that's a definition really of, of resilience is the capacity to be able to bounce back from adversity. Now, what gives somebody the strength to be able to bounce back from, uh, from adversity? Why do we all just, once we, one, once we face a challenge, once we face a failure, once something does not go our way, so why don't we just simply crawl up into a, the fetal position and just, you know, uh, and just stop, just stop moving, stop doing anything whatsoever, because there's no way I'm going to be able to, uh, to survive. There's no way I'm going to be able to make this because I failed. So the reason why, what, what, what gives a person the, the ability to be resilient, what allows a person to be able to be res- resilient is that sense of safety and security. Chazal tell us, it's a fascinating thing. Chazal tell us that one of the things that one of the Tanaim, I think it was, came along and he said that I could justify all the sins which Klai Yisrael is committing. How do you go ahead and justify all the sins which Klai Yisrael is committing? So one is Saor Sheba Isa, which is the, uh, which is the Eight Sahara. The other thing, the one I want to focus on, is Shibud Malchus. 
Shibud Malchus, why, why is that an excuse? Why is that a potential excuse for why people sin? The reason why that's so is because really we should not be un- submissive, we should not be under other nations. We should be under HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We should have a strong attachment with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And when we have a strong attachment with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that gives us resilience and that will allow us to, uh, to sin and then say, it's okay that I sinned because I know HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves me unconditionally and he wants me to do tshuva and he's waiting for me to return and he wants to go ahead and restore the relationship. That's why he's here. So knowing that I have that attachment to HaKadosh Baruch Hu on an individual level and on a national level, that's what allows me, that's what gives me space to be able to recover, to be able to regain my safety and security with my relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that he loves me despite the fact that I made a mistake, despite the fact that I sinned. And then I could go ahead and I could come back. I could go into a base Amitash, I could bring a korban and I could apologize and I could do a full truth and everything is going to be back. But if I don't have a Baruch Hu there, I'm subjected to the nations of the world. I'm submissive to them. They seemingly have more control over me than a Baruch Hu. They have more say over the direction of my life in the circumstances of my life. That means I don't have the safety and security that I need. And if I don't have the safety and security that I need, how am I going to bounce back from that adversity of the sins which I went ahead and I committed? So then the sin would just, that's why Avera goeris Avera in a certain sense, that I do one sin. Once I do that one sin, if I don't have resilience, if I don't have the, the, the strength to be able to say, I know HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves me, even though I sinned and I could come back to him and do tshuva and he's going to welcome me with open arms. So then we give up. Ever think about what it takes for a baby to learn how to walk? I don't know how many of you may have small children or may have small grandchildren, but a baby reaches that age where they can finally stand and now we want to go ahead and we want to get them to take steps. So how many times do they try and walk, take a couple of steps and fall down and then get themselves right back up and try, try and take another step? Why do they keep trying? Why doesn't the baby try? Listen, mom, dad, I tried to walk five times. I failed. I can't do it. Walking is not for me. It's too hard. Or after 10 times, why don't they just throw up their hands and say, you know what, this is not for me. This is too hard. I failed too many times. There's no way I'm going to be able to, uh, to master this skill. It takes too much brain coordination and body coordination and, and all sorts of things. This is not for me. Why don't babies do that? The reason why babies don't do that is because when the baby tries to take a step and falls, we don't say, boo-hoo, you fell. We don't highlight the fact that they failed we come along and we, we applaud them for trying. And we shout and we, we applaud and we get all excited. We use our excited voice for them. All of those things which they do, what that's giving the child is safety and security. We're telling the child, it's okay that you didn't take a step this time, but you're trying so hard and I'm supporting you and I'm behind you and I'm cheering you on and let's go ahead and try it again. And when the baby, when the child feels safe and secure in their ability to fail, then they have the, the, the drive and the motivation to keep on trying until they master that skill. And they'll keep on doing it again and again until eventually they, uh, they get it. And then they're running, and then they're off to the races and we wish maybe they would have waited a little longer to go ahead and learn how to walk. But that's what happens is the reason why they're going to be able to bounce back, the reason why they're able to recover and keep at it again and again and again after repeated failures is because of resilience and the resilience which they demonstrate is the direct result of our support for them. 
because we're there cheering them on, not focused on the failure, but focused in highlighting the attempt to be successful. And that element of resilience, as you said, that requires by its very definition, safety and security. And in the event that somebody does not have that safety and security, so that it becomes very, very difficult to be able to recover and to be able to uh, to get themselves to stop their free fall, to be able to stabilize, and then to be able to move in the direction where the towards the towards recovery. One of the things which is uh, extremely challenging, if you ever speak to somebody who's the uh, you know who's experienced certainly event trauma, but somebody who's aware of even uh, complex trauma, the small t trauma. So one of the things which they uh, which uh, is challenging for them is that people uh, are often very critical of them. People who don't know, who don't understand trauma will look at their dysfunctional behavior and criticize them and say, why are you behaving this way? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing this? And it's all criticism, 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 as if they would respond better had they been in that circumstance, had they experienced that, that, that trauma. But forget about the fact that, that, that they, they didn't experience and they don't know, but it, it, it doesn't look from the outside if a person has a broken leg and they're walking around in a cast. So we know to accommodate for them because they have a broken leg and they're walking around in a cast. We can see that. If a person is walking around with, a, with their arm in a sling or if a person is walking around with oxygen, so we're immediately compassionate towards them because we can see physically there's clearly something physical which is a challenge for them. And therefore we go out of our way to be accommodating, we go out of our way to be helpful, and we understand that they're not going to be able to be functioning at optimal levels because they have a broken leg, they have a fever, they have whatever it is which is, making, uh, which, which is impacting them physically. But you see a person who's suffered from a trauma and you see the dysfunctional behavior, you say, just get it together. Why can't you just behave like a mensch? Why can't you clean up after yourself? Why can't you take care of yourself? Why can't you do X or Y or Z? We say all of those things. So I, I've spent a lot of time trying to capture exactly how to um, uh, describe to a person who's not uh, 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 so trauma sensitive uh, as of yet, exactly how to explain what's going on with the, uh, the trauma person in the need for uh, sympathy even in the event that you can't actually see something which is happening for them. And I think that the, the muscle, which, which I came up with, which I think captures it well, is that I would describe them as emotionally immunocompromised. Emotionally immunocompromised. So you have a person who has gone through whatever treatment that they've gone through, and their immune system is compromised. So you look at them from the outside. You look at an immunocompromised person. Are they, do they have a cast on their arm? They don't have a cast. Are they walking around with crutches? They're not walking around with crutches. Are they walking around with an oxygen tank to, uh, to make sure that their oxygen levels are high? No, they, you don't see anything about them which, which indicates on the outside superficially that they're, they're ill or that there's anything wrong with them whatsoever. But if you know their matzav, you know their situation, you know that they're immunocompromised, you know that they're actually in big danger because their body doesn't have the ability to fight off any infection whatsoever. Any small infection with, with the health, that a healthy person could easily fight off might not even get a sniffles because of that infection, may not even get a fever because of that infection, may just continue about their regular day, uh, uh, go about their regular day conducting themselves as they normally would. But if they're immunocompromised, any little thing 
could become a big deal for them and could potentially be life-threatening. In the same way, somebody who has experienced trauma, capital T trauma, small t trauma, doesn't make a difference. But if a person has experienced trauma in a way that detaches them, because we said that's what happens to trauma, the, the nervous system gets overwhelmed and the person becomes detached, they lose their safety and security. Without safety and security, they have no resilience whatsoever. And without that emotional resilience to be able to bounce back from adversity, any little thing, which to everybody else, is just, it's just a small thing. Just ignore it, move on, forget about it. Why is it such a big deal? Why are you so focused on this? Why are you so angry about this? All those little things, all those comments, which we may say to them, all of that is because we don't realize that they're emotionally immunocompromised. Somebody without resilience, somebody who's a trauma victim who doesn't have resilience cannot respond in a healthy way to all of the little challenges, the bumps and the bruises and the scabs and the cuts and stuff, which are a, a regular part of life. They're a daily part of life. They're a weekly part of life. They don't have the capacity to bounce back even from those minor things because it's something which so devastated, it depleted their emotional immune system and they don't have the capacity to, to handle it. And that is what Klai Yisrael is in. That is our matzah in Gaulus. That is what we have as a result of Chorban Beis Hamikdash. We're going on about 2,000 years or so, 2,000 years plus perhaps, of times where we have been in this state of being on a national level of trauma. We've been traumatized generation after generation, capital T trauma, small t trauma throughout our history. Since Chorban Beis Hamikdash, we have been in this state of trauma. And Chazal understood that when Klai Yisrael is in this national state of trauma, of being detached from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of not feeling the safety and security which we are supposed to feel while we are, when we are close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and when the relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in its ideal form, when we don't have that, so what do we expect? How could we expect them to bounce back? How could we expect them to be resilient? How could we expect them to go ahead and do all the things that they're supposed to do and have the capacity to recover from challenges, the daily challenges, the weekly challenges of our lives, whether it's within ourselves or whether it's with other people, we are, as a nation, we have been emotionally immunocompromised for thousands of years. That has a devastating effect on Klai Yisrael. And that is what Churban Beis Amitash is actually about. Korban Beis Hamikdash, as we said, is not having to do with the fact that we're yearning for a building to be rebuilt. It has nothing to do with the Beis Hamikdash. The Beis Hamikdash is merely the simon. It's a symbol of uh, of the real attachment which we are supposed to have. But it's nothing more than a symbol. We're not trying to remember something which is not in our consciousness because we never had a Beis Hamikdash. We can't imagine what it's like to bring korbanos. We talk about, oh, we want to restore korbanos, like we say in Shimon Esrei, and we're yearning for the avoda, for the for korbanos to be restored in the base of Mitish and all of that. How are we supposed to want something which we've never experienced? It's impossible. It's like trying to describe color to a person who's blind from birth. You can't explain to them what color is because they have no frame of reference to be able to, to, be able to understand that, to be able to grasp that, to be able to describe that to them. So the actual stuff of the physical Beis Hamikdash, it's impossible for us to connect with it. And it's a brachal of Atala. It, it, it's, wa- it's wasted time and energy to think that we can. But what we can realize is the challenges that we have in our lives. 
And by and large, most of the challenges which we have can be traced back to, if you follow this, this event, to this event, to this event, to that generation, it's intergenerational trauma, for God's sakes. And so, you know, you speak to any psychologist, any social worker who works in the firm community, they will tell you that when, uh, within a short amount of time, when a client walks into their office, they will know whether they are the child of survivors, grandchildren of survivors, or great-grandchildren of survivors, because there's characteristics which get passed on from generation to generation, although they were uh, uh, tremendous at survival in rebuilding, but that doesn't mean that they're, they were they were fully successful. No blame of them. I'm not pointing any fingers. I, I, I certainly wouldn't be able to do half of what the, they did, a quarter of what they did, but they, they didn't recover emotionally in the same way. And that's something which gets passed on. It's just an inevitable part of existence is that that emotional pain is going to be passed on to the next generation and the next generation. And we have hundreds of generations since Korban Beis and crusades and inquisitions and pogroms and all of those things which impact the, the, the psychology, the emotional state of being of Klai Yisrael. And this is what, this is what we cry over. We cry over the fact that we remain detached from HaKadosh Baruch Hu and that we can't recover. If we could only just get back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, if we could only reconnect with him on an individual level and on a national level, so then all, uh, I can't say all, but much of our pain would be, would be, we would recover. We would recover from that because the things which, have, which we experience are symptoms of the detachment. One of the things which, you know, many of the people who are in the field with uh, the off the Derek kids or the crisis kids, whatever you, uh, wh whichever term that you want to use to describe them. So they'll tell you that they, when they, when you first start working with them, they have all sorts of uh, Rashi Tevos after their name. This is so-and-so, he has ODD, oppositional defiant disorder, ADHD, they have deficit, uh, uh, attention deficit disorder, and they have this, they're, they're bipolar, and they get, they get all of the diagnosis. You can have like a rap sheet of diagnosis, which, uh, which they get. And then when they begin to work on healing them emotionally, not the, not the, not the psychologically, but they, they hear the emotion, they allow the nervous system to calm down, they restore their sense of safety and security, what they discover is very often those diagnoses just sort of self-resolve. They just go away on their own. They no longer remain there because there was part of the, the coping mechanism which a person went through in order to be able to survive after such a traumatic experience. And for many of us, the challenges which we face, the difficulties which we face, we could definitively trace them back to traumatic events. They may be traumatic events which we ourselves experience. They may be traumatic events which, you know, Truthfully, our children may have experienced and passed them up a generation, and maybe things which go back, you know, to the time of the Holocaust, or to the time of the Crusades, or terrorist attacks, or pogroms, or churba beis But all of these things, by and large, most of what we are suffering from can be traced back to the trauma of having been detached from Akharish Baruch and once that is restored, once we feel that safety and security to be that we're reconnected with Akharish Baruch Hu, then all of those traumas, all of those the, the symptoms of the trauma, which are which are our lives and which capture so, so much of our attention, they'll just sort of go away because we're attached to Akharish Baruch Hu, We're safe and secure. Once we're safe and secure, we have the capacity to be resilient. And once we have the capacity to be resilient, that means we could bounce back from adversity and we could recover and get ourselves back on track. And that is 
the the avelus, that's the sadness of the day. That's why we would cry on the day of Tishabab. We're not crying because the building was destroyed. The building is not important. What's important is we were detached from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And if we were only attached with him, so we'd be in a much healthier religious state. We'd be in a much healthier emotional state. We'd be in a much healthier psychological state. And we'd be able to recover from the wounds which we personally picked up through the journey of our lives. And the national wounds, which get passed on generationally, would also be able to be resolved and be able to be recovered if we could just get ourselves to that point where we could recover. And that's what the day is about. And that's why one of the things which is so important to keep in mind, because we're focusing a lot over here on the detachment which resulted from Chorba Beis Hamikdash and all of the devastating effects which, uh, which unfold from there and how it impacts us as individuals, impacts us as generations, impacts us as a nation, and all of the consequences which we face with all of that. So one of the things which is so important to keep in mind is the imagery which HaKash Baruch Hu left us with before he went back up to Shemaim. So remember, we said that the, the devastation, the real impact of Churban Beis Hamikdash is the detachment from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's really the tragedy of it, and that's what we cry, and that's what we want to be restored, and everything else is just a symptom, everything else is just a band-aid, everything else is just a simon of, of, of that. But the real thing is the detachment from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But remember, Chazal tell us that there was this amazing thing, the Kruvim were, had this amazing, miraculous capacity that the Kruvim were always a mirror of the status of the relationship between HaKadosh Baruch and Klai Yisrael. So when the relationship between HaKadosh Baruch and Klai Yisrael collectively was in a good state, so then if you were to walk in or you were to look at your, before they had a Kotel cam, so they had a Kodesh Kodashim cam. So they'd go in and you'd look in the Kodesh Kodashim. So you'd see the Kruvim in an embrace. And the Kruvim interfacing one another in, in an embrace, that's indicative of the fact that the relationship is strong, it's solid. We got this and we're good to go, that we can be safe and secure, all is good. When the relationship between Akash Baruch and Klai Yisrael was fractured in some way, was not where it was supposed to be. So then the imagery which you would see in the Kodesh Kodashim, if you put on your Kodesh Kodashim cam, so you'd see the Kruvim turn back to back to one another. We know one of the main things, one of the main ways by which we're able to express connection with a person is the capacity to look into their eyes. When you're humiliated, when you're shamed, when you have a reason to that you're lying to a person, so it's very difficult to look them in the eye. It's very hard to go ahead and look in the eye of somebody that you don't, you don't feel connected to. Whenever you're feeling that you need to go ahead and connect with your child and your child to, to connect with you, stare them right in the eyes. Not in an awkward way that's going to make them feel uncomfortable. But stare at them in the eye so that you could feel that you're establishing a real connection with them because that ability to look eye to eye means that the relationship is strong. So in the Beis HaMikdash, when the relationship between Kodesh Baruch and Klai was bad, they were back to back. They couldn't even look at, at, at each other in the eye. So now, if, you, if we know that there is, when they're in embrace, they're looking at each other, that means the relationship is good. When they're back to back, that means the relationship is bad. So what would we expect with the position of the Kruvim be at the time of Korban Beis HaMikdash? We would expect not only are they back to back, we would expect that maybe they're like, looks like they're running away from each other. They should be in a running position, trying to get as far away from one another as possible. Because when Akash Baruch Hu says, Ad Khan, 
enough is enough. I can't stand it here anymore. I can't remain here anymore. I can't be close when you guys are behaving this way. And I'm going back up to Shemayim. So that's when we'd expect that they'd be back to back. But that's not what happened. Right before Chorban Beis Amitash, Rakesh Baruch Hu did the last image that we have of the Kruvim is the Kruvim in an embrace. And that's so symbolic. And it's such an important expression, such an important image which Rakesh Baruch Hu left us with because Rakesh Baruch Hu is communicating to us I have to go. I cannot stay. The behavior that you're demonstrating, the way you guys are behaving with one another, the way that you're behaving towards me, first base amitra, second base amitra, whatever's going on, the way that you guys are behaving, I cannot remain here. But I don't want you to think that I've severed our relationship entirely. Because Baruch Hu says, even in a state of Chorban, even in a state of where the Beis Hamikdash is about to be destroyed, and Klai Yisrael is going to be exiled, and we're going to be Echa Yashva Badad, we're going to be sitting all by ourselves, lonesome, separated from God, separated from one another, isolated, no connection whatsoever. Even as that is taking place, Hakash Baruch Hu says, but don't misinterpret what's happening. Don't misinterpret Korban Beis Hamikdash to think that I don't love you. Because unconditional love is something which Hakash Baruch Hu always assures us, will always be in place. B'ni B'chor Yisrael, when we are chosen as a nation in Mitzrayim, when we are at the 49th level of Tuma, that's when HaKadosh Baruch Hu used the most expressive and loving phrase that he could towards the nation of Israel, when he says, you're my firstborn, you're my beloved child. He said that, not when we were tzaddikim. He said that when we were idolaters. We were on the brink of falling so far away from HaKadosh Baruch Hu that we may have been unrecoverable at that point. At that moment, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I love you unconditionally. There's nothing that you could do which is going to compromise that love. And even Churban Beis even when it's so bad that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I cannot stay anymore. I cannot be this close to you anymore while you are this way. But I still love you unconditionally. And I'm going to leave you the last image, the last thing that I want you to, to retain in your memory of our relationship, the tangible expression of our relationship is the Kruvim in an embrace. And that's to let you know that even in the state of Corbin, in even 2000 years into Corbin, with all of the detachment and all of the trauma and the lo- loss of resilience and the loss of safety and security and all of that stuff, which we've endured for 2000 years, HaKadosh Baruch Hu still loves us unconditionally. His love for us has not diminished in any way, shape, or form. And that's why throughout the Kinos, we end with that yearning, Hashiveinu Hashem Elecha Bring us back to that relationship. Let us see tangibly. We know in our heads, in our brains, we know that you love us unconditionally. But we want to be able to see it. We want a tangible expression of that, something that we can connect with. And that tangible expression of that is going to be Binya Beis That is the rebuilding of the Beis That will then be the symbol of the fact that we now have a tangible uh, uh, manifestation of the unconditional love which HaKadosh Baruch Hu has for us. And this is what I think that the day of Tisha B'Av is really about. As you said, I've been saying, it's not about a building per se. It's not about the presence of a Beis building. It's all, it all revolves around the Avelus, the mourning which we have for the loss of the close relationship, the Devekas, the attachment and the connection which we're supposed to have uh, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and all of the devastating consequences which resulted from that. And what we hope for is, is that if we could connect with that, uh, that, uh, that day, if we could connect with that and realize 
that what we're really yearning for and what we're really striving for, hopefully that will focus our attention in a way where, as we said at the outset, the day will be more meaningful, we'll know, we'll be more focused on what we're trying to accomplish over the course of the day. And hopefully with that clearer focus of what we're trying to accomplish over the course of the day, we will succeed at convincing HaKadosh Baruch Hu that we're now in a matzah, we're now in a position where we are worthy and deserving of the actual manifestation of seeing his unconditional love towards us. And then we'll be able to experience the Binyan Beis Hamikdash, which as we said, is the symbol of the restored attachment that we, that we yearn for with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And uh, we should all be zocha to be able to uh, to be able to experience that. Thank you, Rabbi.